Sports and Songs podcast. We're in season four, episode number 15. Tonight is the songs edition. It is February 23rd, 2023. This is our last Thursday night episode of the month of February. How are you doing, Andy? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm a little sore from the shoveling here in Minnesota these last couple of days, but we'll live. Well, if anyone got snowed in and uh, couldn't couldn't get out uh, to do things, this is a good album. We've got an album review tonight to uh, to discuss. Um, yeah, was new for me, but uh, it's a, it's a local. We're covering local Prince. Now. We're covering Prince, Andy, and we're kind of a heavy metal, hard rock, right, thrash metal show. And how here we are doing a little local Paisley Park Prince on tonight's episode. But, but Prince, he was one of those guys. Everybody liked Prince. His music. I mean, he he was all genres. I think he. You know, when the music videos first came out, uh, I was a fan of his, uh, you know, rock, his rock stuff. Yeah. But he's, he does a lot of funk. He does a lot of, a lot of things. He's very experimental with a lot of stuff. So tonight's album is the Black album we're going to be covering. And let me bring Hello? it up. The Black Hello. album. Now, for the for the newer listeners out there, you know, it was not titled the Black album. Not at first, no. There was no. There was no title. Thank you, Warner Brothers. No, no title. But but this album that we're going to cover tonight is the 16th studio album by American recording artist Prince. Released with the remastered audio and re-released in 1994. But original release, let's, let's focus on the original yep. release for now. December 8th, 1987. Prince released this album. Recorded Paisley Park Studios, Chanhassen, Minnesota. The album had, was entirely black, even with the black sleeve. No title or even a credit to Prince. Let me repeat that. Not a credit to Prince. Hence, it was referred to as a black album, but it was dubbed the Funk Bible by preceding press releases. So they were getting ready. They had it recorded. They were promoting it. They were getting the album out. They are calling it the Funk Bible. It wasn't live yet, but they were shipping it off to, to record stores and uh, radio stations and, and getting it out there to get reviews on it. They called it the Funk Bible. No one even knew what the title was going to be. Well, there was no title. So we're calling it the Black Album. So 1987 comes. The promo-only release uh, had no credits, production credits, photography, nothing, no photos. Simple, simple black sleeve. And it just said the song listings and catalog number 25677 were printed on the disc itself. So the songs, here's the songs on the album. And then we'll get to what all happened next. But but song one was Lee Grind, Le Grind. Song two, Cindy C, uh, allegedly... Uh, relating to Cindy Crawford. Song three, Dead on It. Song four, When Two Are in Love. Next song is Bob George. There's a story behind that one. The next song is all one word, super funky, califragosexy. Next song is Two Nigs United for West Compton. One of your favorite songs, right, Andy? Uh, one of them, yes. One of my eight favorite on the album. Rock hard in a funky place. So, you know, they had the, the songs, eight songs, lots of 
uh, variety here. Prince, of course, lead vocals, various instruments. Sheila E., uh, percussion and drums. Uh, Eric Leeds plays three tracks on saxophone. Atlanta Bliss plays the trumpet on three tracks. Cat Glover, Bonnie Boyer, Sus Susanna Melvoyne, and Susan Rogers all are on relate to this, this album. So what happens is this, Andy. Now, you may have some over... Uh, you know, additional information, um, as I certainly didn't remember. I don't think I don't own a Prince album at what? all. What? I don't own any Prince songs. My wife's a big Prince fan. Um, I don't see myself, you know, getting in the car saying I'm going to listen to some Prince today. I I don't typically do that. I like his stuff. I respect him as a musician, but I never was over overall really a big fan of his. Uh, of his work. Um, I know what I'm getting you for your birthday now. The hate, the hate mail could come in, but that's just mm -hmm. uh, the way it is. So they did the promo, they sent it out. And then it was released. Now the album was abandoned shortly before it's intended release after pre Prince experiments. He experienced, experienced a spiritual epiphany and became convinced that this CD was evil. He later blamed the album on an entity named Spooky Electric. Spooky Electric was described as a demonic, low-voiced alter ego induced by Camille. Camille comes into play on some other things by Prince, but mm -hmm. the decision may have been influenced by Prince's having a bad experience on MDMA. MDMA, what is that, Andy? Not a clue. I don't know, but, uh, you know, if he was uh, high on something, experimenting something, and this can't happen, like some kind of a hallucinogen, maybe that was it. But what Prince did was this. He recalled all copies and abandoned the entire project, leaving roughly 100 European promotional copies in circulation. So he says, you know what? I'm done. I want everything recalled. Well, 100 copies in Europe were already in circulation. Once they got word that this was re-pulled and re, uh, you know, taken off the shelves, the value went way up. Also, several American copies that would widely be, you know, bootlegged in the coming years. Now, immediately after the decision to pull the black album from stores, the album emerged on the streets in bootleg form, arguably becoming popular music's most legendary bootleg since the Beach Boys album Smile that was recorded in 1967. So now, now, Andy, I got a question. Okay. Is this something, you know, Prince has always been known to do um, weird, strange things, but he's also very intelligent. Uh, sometimes yeah. he does things on purpose to get the, the result that, that he's looking for. Was this done on purpose to create a jackpot or was he really going through some tough times? Uh, was he struggling with this album? He really didn't really I, like it. You know, from what I would have known of Prince or read of Prince, I would believe either side of that story. Um, I know he was spiritual at the end. Um, some of their songs are pretty spiritual. Um, not exactly something you'd hear on your local Christian rock station, but spiritual nonetheless. Um, was he on a drug when he took this? And he, maybe. Um, I think part of it was publicity stunt at the end, though. Um, we'll never know, obviously. 
But I could see him doing that just to get back at the record company from the if you look back at your 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 Google machine, Prince versus Warner Brother Records, look it all up. I could see him doing that. But then kind of playing the whole other side of the card without without flipping to a whole other story. Kind of like the whole OJ thing. I did it, but I don't remember. So did Prince release this and then say, oh, I didn't mean to just to get back at Warner Brothers? Possibly. Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, you and I both know the time it takes to, uh, not, not personally, but the time it takes to record and get an album down and go to the right. sessions and get studio time and send out the promotional stuff. This is many, many months all and, this takes to get something like this, a project done. And then to say, oh, he had a bad uh, hallucinogenic uh, experience uh, and pulled the whole plug on everything. Well, what, when? Was it just a one-day hallucinogen that he decided all this? Um, what are the other people? It's not Man. true to do that. Prince had a lot of money, so the money part for doing it wasn't an issue. So I, that's why I think he did it, just to snub Warner Brothers. Could have been. Now, the reactions, you know, when the 87 promotional release came out, you know, celebrities such as U2's The Edge and Bono uh, cited that this was one of their favorite albums of 1988. Um, New York Times, um, John Perles uh, remarked that both the Black Album and Love, Love Sexy, before that, show a musician experimenting like mad with every musical parameter and so prolific that he had to cut back his output so he wouldn't be competing with himself. He observed that the Black Album answers the Beatles' eclectic White Album with Prince's own tour of Black music styles, from a skeletal synthesized blues to a rap to an extended stops at James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone, Parliament, Funkadelic. It also has Black humor and nasty fantasies. I mean, he covers so much ground Right. I think that summary was it covers everything. He got to the point where he was competing with himself by putting too much out there. Right. So, you know, Warner Brothers, they had an issue because they had a they had one time ran an ad at the back of uh, a November 1994 issue of Billboard that offered owners of the counterfeit copies. Here's you can have a free copy of the legal release provided that you mail back the bootleg to the record label in exchange, you know, so they did this yeah. to the first, you know, 1000 individuals who had copies sent by saying, we want to get those bootlegs off the streets. Cause they want to make the money. They want to make the money. And so once again, maybe that was why uh, Prince, if he did this on purpose was to it, you know, this was <laughs> uh, very interesting. Now Prince invoked Camille, the alter ego behind his unreleased 86 album Camille, as a guiding force responsible for the Black album. Now, do you know any more on Camille, Andy? Are you familiar no, with that? I'm doing some notes on this, too. I saw that name come up, and I don't recall any other stories of Camille. It's an alter um, ego, and, and some big uh, Prince fans out there, uh, if you're familiar with this, leave it a comment or a question for us, uh, some information on the comment section. I'm not sure what that is, but you know, he's been, this was, you know, how many 15 16th studio album so like you say money wasn't an issue the guy was already famous uh, but he does a lot of he does you know hip-hop on this album uh, there's a parody dead on it is a parody you know and 
there, there's some good there's some good stuff on here. And you know, the album before was uh, 1984, 1994 was uh, when they re-released it was 94. So Come was 1994. The Black Album was 94. And then the Versace Exper- Experience. Yeah. Prelude to Gold was 1995. And this album is 44 minutes, 43 seconds long, released on Warner Brothers. Um, you know, it was a, they had an original pressing. So they have an original number for that pressing with the record company. And then they repressed it and did it again. And they had issued, you know, a second number for that for uh, from the record label. The genre is funk. The genre yeah. is funk. And so that that's fair enough. I, I agree yeah. with Yeah. From listening to the album today, I'd say that if you could put three different labels on that album because of different songs, but if you had to give it just one, funk is a good one for it. And so those original ones are going for, for big, big bucks, and they re-release it to get it out there. But that was not until 1994. So that's that's several years later when this all goes down. So I think that's a very interesting scenario how all this went down. And once again, being Prince, I can only imagine what was intended or what was not or what really was the real story behind all this. Yeah. I still think that with all the people uh, performing on the album, and I'm not sure how they go about getting paid as far as the royalties and whatnot, but once he pulled it, it got to be very things got to be very goofy, and then you know, years later you you release it officially. But well, all the artists you mentioned that were on this album had worked with Prince a lot through the eighties and nineties anyway, mostly okay. exclusively with Prince. So they must they could have been uh for lack of better words on the payroll. I don't know if you get royalties or said, hey, here's your check for the album. I'll help Prince work. But gotcha. these were people who'd worked with him a lot already, so. No one really got job like my one time with Prince and he screwed me. No, that didn't happen. They all worked them a lot. So, yeah. Um, oh, so back to that song, Bob George. Yes. Um, one of the most atypical Prince songs is called Bob George, where he assumes the identity of a profane man who suspects his girlfriend to have had an affair with a man named Bob. He asks her, what does a man do for a living? And he learns that Bob manages Prince, oh. whom he dismisses. And then the gun-wielding gun alter ego then fires a multitude of gunshots and ends up being raided by the police. During live performances during the song of the song during the Love Sexy tour, he ends up being shot. The name for the track was a combination of Bob Cavallo, former manager, and Nelson George who was felt to have become very critical of Prince. So they called it Bob George. Any comments on that, Andy? Um, Kind of a little outside his wheelhouse, if you ask me. But uh, again, that's our, that's our friend Prince doing that. A little theatrics on the stage. So that's what I've got. Yep. That's what I've got for Prince, the black album. It was not, you know, officially called the black album, but the, the, uh, the funk Bible. Was what yeah, they were yeah. calling it in uh, pre-production here before it, before it came out. The Funk Bible. Very interesting. Stuff. That's what I've got. It's it's interesting stuff. If once again, if you know more, anyone knows more about that, uh, has in, any insights on this, uh, please leave your comments below. Uh, Especially Camille, that intrigues me a lot. Camille, it came up several times uh, in this whole story. I'm 
Remember, now that's an alter ego that Prince used. Now, was this going on the same time when Prince didn't use his name and went with the symbol around the same time frame? As I said the wrong time, if if my history serves me correctly. The uh, 80s through 90 there, that era, he was kind of by the symbol or artist formerly known as Prince, stuff like that. So when he was fighting with Warner Brothers. And that was the, yeah, that was a fight with the Warner Brothers again with contractual obligations and things. So that's a whole nother episode upon itself. Uh, anything more on this or do you have music notes? And uh, well, I have some notes on Prince stuff in general. Oh, and then I got yes. a, a couple other concerts. So switch over a, to the. Let's take a look here. What I got here. There we go. Let's go through some of these here. We'll start with Prince Rogers Nelson was born June 7th, 1958 in Minneapolis. Um, Maddie Shaw and John Nelson were his folks. I don't know right here. I know, I know a guy who went to high school with Prince. You see all those things in the stories? Yes, Prince was a very good basketball player. Yes. I've heard that. You hear the bits and the urban legends? Yes, he was a very good basketball player. Uh, anyway, as a teenager, he played in bands with his friends in 78 when he was 20. He signed his first record contract with Warner Brothers. Um, Prince's sixth studio album, Purple Rain, a lot of people think that was his one of his first ones. No, that was number six in '84. Was the high point? The album spent 24 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 charts. <clears throat> Spawned two hit singles. A lot more, if you ask me, if you really listen to the album, but two that were yes. released in the charts. One Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy. One Grammys for Best Rock Performance and sold 13 million copies. Wow. Um, Nelson did a film on it. Won lots of stuff there. Throughout his career, Prince defined and transcended genre. His music fused elements of funk, R&B, rock, and pop into what later became known as the Minneapolis Sound. That would be Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Um, they were very big with uh, Janet Jackson stuff at the time. She was popular Sheila E. and some other artists down there, too. Uh, famously, he was usually... He played a lot of instruments himself. He'd do all the stuff like you just said for that album. He had to cut back. He'd play everything. In the years before his death, Prince was taking prescription pain medication for hip pain. And you look at Prince. You dance in them little tiny boots, you're going to have leg and hip issues. So, yep. um, so that's that on him. And there it is, Paisley Park out in Chinhassen, Minnesota. You can see the target from there. Now we're we're planning; it's in the works here, but we're planning to do a tour of the facility here for sports yeah. and songs uh, upcoming. They do have tours there, yeah. Uh, the studio was designed by architectural firm BOTO Design out of Santa Monica. Um, opened September eleventh, nineteen eighty-seven. He does have two videos in there and rehearsal spaces. Um, he did have his record company there, uh, Paisley Park. Music was there. The studios. He did have other artists recorded there. His intent when he opened it was to have it be like a Graceland, which unfortunately that's what's become since he passed. Um, so kind of a dream come true for him, if you will. Um, Paisley Park, I guess, does good work. They do good things there. Carver County, which is the county which Chanhassen's in where Paisley Park is. 
Carver County officials confirmed the story that Princess Ashes are now, quote, unquote, on show in the main entrance of Paisley Park, an urn that is shaped of Paisley Park. In the basement of Paisley Park, there is a vault of unreleased material, hundreds of hours of live recordings, experiments, and top-secret songs. The urn has since been removed from the atrium on which it was first displayed and placed in a vault, in, in the vault. The contents of the vaults have since been removed and relocated to a studio in L.A. to be stored, remastered, and stored in climate-controlled storage. Me, personally, as a music fan and a Prince fan, from what you've heard, and I say what we know of Prince, like he's a friend of ours, but from what we know of Prince, I would never want to hear those. For the simple fact he was such a perfectionist, he would not be happy if they were released. My yeah, mind. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's get this concert information here, get back to our, our genre, nothing against Prince, his royal badness, as they call them on MTV sometimes. Frugin Castles Gotello, <clears throat> the movie Purple Rain. Henderson, Minnesota is an hour's drive southwest of First Avenue, a site where Prince and Apollonia filmed the iconic outdoor purple outdoor romp of Purple Rain. Prince was right. It ain't Lake, Lake Minnetonka. It's on the Minnesota River down in Henderson, Minnesota, right there at River Street and Henderson Station. Oh, yes. Might have to do a live remote there one day. Yes, that's not a bad idea. But here we are getting back to concerts. We're going to focus on Route 47 Pub and Grub in Fridley, Minnesota, off First Avenue, about an hour drive east from here in Carver County. Here's who they got coming up. Rough House, March 24th. That's tomorrow, for those of you watching this tonight. And Legacy of the Loud on Saturday. I have seen Legacy of the Loud before. I highly recommend you go see them. Um, they do a lot of 80s covers. Like a couple different lead singers that swatch in and out. Very, very good band. Um, I ten dollar cover. You're you're robbing them. They are worth well more than ten dollars to see that. Play some Zeppelin, huh? Yes. And uh, the one time I saw them, they did uh, when they do the songs. They do some of the deep tracks for White Snake too, not just the popular "Here I Go Again." No, they do some deep stuff, so that's pretty cool. 31st, Rockstar Bob's Rock Show. Um, again, highly recommended. Never seen Bobby Jensen. Um, former lead singer from Hairball, so he's that same type of show, if you will. For Rockstar Bob's and the pandemic on the 1st. $5 cover there. Getting into April the 7th, Gen X Jukebox. Um, those of you just a touch younger than us in the 90s music. There you go. Couple new bands, Mad Company and Force and Foreign Sake. Uh, bad Company cover band and a Foreigner cover band. Uh, the people in the Foreigner cover band are some of those from Heartless. So that same type of music, same groupings. That looks like it could be a good show there. Oh, yes. Get, getting back to the Prince stuff a little bit. Um, I grew up in the Minnetonka Excelsior area as you know, and I worked at convenience stores out in that area and did have the pleasure of running into Mr. Prince Rogers Nelson one night there. He uh, came in the store about 4.30 in the morning. Um, I was getting early to open up. He came in, 
and I remember it like yesterday because of what he bought. It was okay. so odd. <laughs> it was. I've heard this story. I know. Yeah. I it was a copy of the Newsweek Week magazine that had OJ's mugshot on it. That's how I remember it. Had okay. OJ, OJ's 94. mugshot on it. He, yep. So he had a copy of a Newsweek magazine, Evian water, and a box of condoms. Box of condoms. Yes. Evian water and the Newsweek issue. And a box of condoms. Those three things. He, and you were he, you were running the he, cash he, register? I was on the cash register. I said, you have a nice day. He leaves. That's about tremendous. 30, about 30 seconds later, this lady comes running and shows, who was that that just sped out here in that sports car? That almost got, he almost hit me. I go, that was Prince. She's like, oh, okay. It was oh, okay. Then it's fine. Then it's that's fine. fine. Almost you hit her. He uh, peeled out of there in the sports car. Yeah, but he'd hang out in Excelsior every now and then at night. He used to hang out down in the Commons, I guess. Um, just not really causing issues, just being a kid. Just, yeah. You know. But uh, Purple Rain, that was stuff down there from First Avenue, a lot of those scenes. Kind of, you know, I was in junior high when that movie came out. So I saw it because we were living in out of the metro area at the time. So I watched it to see some of the metro scenes again. It was pretty cool. Um, it, it, is it a real movie? No. no. His career was not that way. You know, but it was a fun movie. It's, it's I've a good seen movie. it a couple times. Uh, it's it's got you know a lot of local flavor, a lot of local scenes. Filmed at First Avenue. Yes. So his star out there in front, uh, which is painted different color because he is Prince and he made First Avenue what it is today. Not that First Avenue and Seventh Street entry weren't popular before, but they are from the movie. Kind of became There's a whole Kind of became a tourist spot when it came to Minneapolis. And funny, it's right across the street from Target Center. So can't miss it when you're down there. Yeah, in the music, you know, people in the music, uh, tr people who travel to see music, a lot of people come to Minneapolis uh, on a vacation or a long weekend to say, uh, I'll, I'll, where's First Avenue? I got to see it. I want to get my picture taken in front of it. That, yeah, that's right. what it's like here in the Twin Cities is that's a spot. And I, you know, I looked up before the show, see who's all playing there. And maybe it's because I'm – years old now and i don't know that genre of music anymore didn't know a name on there but you know what 99 of the people that play at first avenue no one knows their name when they first play there it's a it's your first step up the ladder so yeah, and that's and that's how they and that's how they do it uh, and that and that's how it's set up that way to yeah, get right. you in they don't want you if you've had two gold albums and a number one song they don't want you playing there yep that's not what first avenue is for so yeah, that and the Seventh Street entry as well. But it's like it's a kind of your entry level crowd to get in and yeah. uh, um good stuff, good stuff. So should I comment on the uh rock concert review? Yes, last Saturday you were out and about. I went and saw Isaiah Mueller. Again, another great job by him and the trio down there out at uh, Dodge House on Lester Prairie. Nice. I lost at the Meet Raffle, I lost at Bingo. But I got to see a good band, so there. And how That's much? Do they they charge a cover or not? Nope, nope, nope. nope. I know, but I dropped enough money on bingo and meat raffle. I could have bought a concert ticket cheaper than and, that. And yeah, and that's all. That's that's how it goes. But uh, yep. I attended your cover. You, you show up for the Shock fun stuff. I went to the Shockby Bowl. Ten dollar ticket wow. gets you in to see a Megadeth tribute band called Darkest Hour. 
and they played the darkest hour song of course they had to do that which yeah. was phenomenal uh, they also played anarchy in the in the uk um uh, you know the cover the cover song and they played a bunch from that first uh, so far uh so far peace sells but who's buying who's buying and so they played a bunch from that i own of megadeth maybe two or three of their albums or maybe even four not a lot they've got a bunch out there but for a ten dollar ticket they're up there playing uh sounds phenomenal you can sit at your seat they've got high top tables and chairs there's like a dance floor people can stand out in front as well maybe it only holds maybe 30 people or something it's, it's a small intimate venue after they got playing and and whatnot and i knew more of the songs i went up you're able to get real close to the band and and, and you're right there in front of them they played about an hour set i thought it was very good uh very and i thought that Megadeth is a hard band to cover number one as far as a thrash metal sound like yeah. that the vocals were, were good bass is really good two lead guitars very good so then they they take off they have a break no love for the drummer the drummer was very good yes thanks okay, for me. don't leave out the drummer was awesome as well wow I spaced out he's sitting Damn. there back but uh the the drummer I liked his uh, okay. work as well. Very good. Very good. Now, they take a break. Everyone goes, gets a beer or whatever, and you come back. And now it comes off, and it's Iron Maiden cover band. It's a tribute, it's a tribute band for Iron Maiden. It's called Maiden Minneapolis. It's a Minneapolis group of guys. Three of the guys are overlapping from the previous Megadeth show. Change a T-shirt, put on a different outfit. Lead singer comes off, different outfit, same guy. Lead guitarist, same guy. Um, and so the bassist, same guy. The others, uh, in and out, done deal, and they start playing some Iron Maiden. Good stuff. I mean, it, it's so phenomenal. Now, they have uh, Eddie makes an appearance. Nice. On the show, on the stage. Yeah. And so they play another hour, hour and a half. And, um, you know, for, for $10, you're sitting there just thinking, how can this even be real? Because it's it's just it's so perfect. It's so perfect. And mind you, I'm not a big Iron Maiden fan. I'm a bigger Megadeth fan. But if you like these bands, I would see these two. They always play together because most of the guys are the same same group. But for playing the notes and the band and the, the bass, the vocals on these things, phenomenal. Same guy does the vocals for both. Drumming was incredible. So for 10 bucks you can't you can't beat it um uh, i took a bunch of photos we put them out there on our uh insta i mean our facebook and twitter facebook. and uh we're connected mm -hmm. with these guys and and they you know they said thanks for everything we pushed push their stuff they're playing again you know up in st michael coming up but they always play together those two bands are really one unit probably owned by the same company the same you know partners involved on the, on the business side of things but yep. a phenomenal show and of course you get you know, this, I don't want to say strange, but the people watching is always good because you see people right. from all walks of life come out to, to shows like this. Uh, I saw I ran into a guy that I saw at the Def, Le Def Legend show at Medina that was there. Um, I think a guy that was like one or two rows ahead of me at the Def Legend show. I recognize that the Megadeth show. So they, they start getting some, some of the same followers uh, coming through there with the, but the tribute bands are really where it's at. You know, it's. Yep. Yep. I, and I could vouch for, I know Dan had a good time. I got a text from him that night. 
His first word was, dude. Dude right is there. what I said. Yeah, yeah. I said I knew he's having a good time. We it's, all go back to being in our 20s again when we're at those concerts. Some take a little too far. It takes you are. back, yes. yes. You're, you're basically out there checking these guys out, and you're looking around, and everyone's got a giant smile on their face just thinking, what the heck is happening here? Yep, yep. And then Eddie, Eddie comes out in a costume. It's just, you know, it's uh, it's just. And everybody was like a kid seeing Santa Claus. It was like a kid watching Santa Claus when Eddie comes out. Oh, it's Eddie! Yay. It's just yeah. one thing. So, Chocolate Bowl, good venue. Uh, they got really good food there. Uh, a lot of people. There's 24 lanes of bowling if you want to do that. That's on the. Now, now would you say it's the same size as like when we were at the Minnesota Music Cafe in St. Paul? About that same size no, venue. Minnesota Music Cafe is a music venue meant for large crowds. You know, three, okay. four hundred, four hundred people with an actual stage. Yeah. This is like, I would say, you know, it's bigger than. Floyd's, but it's okay. really just a bar with the stage. Everyone's right there in front of you. It's a sports bar. Strockby Bowl is a sports bar. So the all the sports 100, 150 people. The flags are hanging of the wild, the Timberwolves, the Twins, the Vikings, and there's it's rock and roll right in front of you. But there's a wraparound bar there. There's a, there's a whole section of kind of like Dave and Buster games that you can play there too with ski ball and, and video games. It's it's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big venue. New owners, it's all cleaned up. It's uh, really clean. About 150 people for the concert. I would say that would be high. I would okay. say maybe 100. Okay, so if crowds aren't your thing, that's a place yeah, to go. If you're not, it's it's not a elbow to elbow thing. Uh, you've got room to just sit and watch at the at the bar, sit and watch at the table, go up and watch. Dance if you want. There wasn't, you know, people weren't dancing or anything, but not a lot of dance music. It's was just to sit back music. and just to take it all in. Um, I got some good photos up close of these guys, but uh, very talented. Uh, these are guys that I think could be, you know, pro or playing in a in a live real band for for their job. Is how talented these guys, and they're playing tribute bands, but they're in multiple bands, probably doing it for a living, so to say. But they're certainly not getting wealthy off of it, but. Uh, for, from a perspective of a fan or a spectator to see it, you're not paying, you know, $150 to see a ticket uh, for a ticket for a live, real, authentic band. Um, then you're sitting in the third deck at the Target. Right. I mean, this is you're up, you're up front seeing professional uh, musicians, talented guys. Yeah, because these guys they are professional musicians. You know, since they're they're getting paid for this. So they are very good at their talent. They're very good it skilled. Is, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, you know, it's not like the old, you know, you see the old original beginning of, you know, Motley Crue and they're playing clubs and stuff and they're hammered on okay. stage. They were falling over. Some of these old, when they're playing this, you know, the clubs on the Hollywood strip. Uh, this is yeah. a, the tribute shows that I've seen, whether it's uh, Heartless or the uh, Maiden, Motley Crue, very tight performances musically, very tight. Um, yep. That deaf, deaf legend was unreal. Hairball, once again. These guys aren't okay. missing notes, hardly. So it's a nope. – um, they're not up there um, wasted. Uh, they're all the clean-cut yeah. guys playing Stober. Uh, very, very good. They're not a bunch of hacks that they're slapping a guitar and thinking they can do no, it. Right? No, it, it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. But that's all I've got on that. Uh, when wanting to see those guys for a while, been wanting to go to Shakopee Bowl for a while. So check both things off that list. Um, 
good venue. It's right in between Chaska, Jordan, Shakopee. It's out kind of in the middle of nowhere, but uh, big, big venue. Music side is very small, but the business itself is very large. Very good. Very good. Anything That's else? what I got. Those were our four albums for February. All Black and Blue's Blue album. Yep. Uh, Black to the Thrones Blue by Alice in Chains, Black and Blue by the Stones, and Black by Prince. You haven't figured out the pattern here. There was a concept. There was a pattern all four weeks in the month of February. The answer next week. We'll answer will be next week. We'll go That's back to our back to our regular schedule of uh, doing some uh, some hardcore and some heavy metal stuff uh, yep. going forward. But as we enter March, March Madness. Any, any suggestions? Let us know what you want to hear us review. Um, we've gone into the late seventies a couple times, early nineties sometimes, but mostly eighties rock and roll. So we are not afraid to venture out. Let us know. We like it. It's fun stuff. Uh, we enjoy doing it. So have a good week, everyone. See ya.